The Athletic. Hello all and welcome to the 73rd edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. That will be the championship champions, Norwich City. I am Michael Bailey. I hope this finds you safe and well on the way. Campeones, boycott allness and last of the games. We'll work through all this and more with our guests this fine morning, and it is a morning, uh, Norwich number one chief at NCFC Numbers, also known as our very own Steve Sanders. Morning, Michael. And former Norwich City Publications and Programme Editor, Dan Brigham. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us, everyone out there in this beautifully yellow world. Uh, how are we doing, Steve? How are you? Almost called you Stephen then. How are you? Well, that would have been a new thing, wouldn't it? I, we'll just stick with number wang, Chief, if that's all right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm OK, thanks. Yeah, it's sort of um, it's, it's that stage that happens every year where you get towards the end of the season. And you think, oh, there's going to be a there's a huge void coming up in my in my weekends. What am I going to do? But um, I, I'm sort of I don't know about you. I'm slightly relieved about the end of this season. It just feels it's, it's been ever so slightly relentless, doesn't it? So a, a, a break from Norwich City, as fun as it's been this year, might, might actually be quite nice. It feels like it's been two years solidly of football, <laughs> which it, is, it hasn't. It just feels like it. And the break will be lovely, obviously. I'm quite looking forward to it. Dan, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I, I agree. It's uh, It'll be nice to end the season and to also have a... Um, international tournament to look forward to in the summer as well to go up as champions and then have an international tournament is uh, a nice way to head into the summer it's always the best combination and likewise when there's an international summer uh, tournament and you've been relegated you don't really want to worry about football you want to get, get the break in so at least we're getting the flip side of that um, before we crack on uh, right now you can subscribe to the athletic for a special price of three pounds 99 per month for six months that's 40 percent off the full price of a subscription you'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts so go to theathletic.com forward slash norwich pod to take advantage of this special 40 percent discount that is is theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Right, let's crack on with this week's headline act. I mean, no guessing what we got this week. Norwich City are champions, just like we predicted. Well, just like I predicted, actually, before a ball was kicked this season. I should probably get that in straight away. I was on this from the start. Um, and we have kind of been saying, I don't think we've really doubted it was going to happen, have we, Steve? So when it happened... How did you feel? Where were you? Um, I was I was watching this time. I mean, when you say never doubted it was going to happen, I didn't on Saturday. There were there have been times a few months ago when I might have done, but yeah, the the longer this season has gone on, the more we've we've looked like doing it. And yeah, in terms of Saturday, uh, obviously went we went behind early, didn't we? Didn't start particularly well. No, but, um, <laughs> no. but because uh, Watford were never in front of, at Brentford, it kind of felt like and. Even even when we went behind, it felt like there were goals. Um, Reading were, I thought, extremely accommodating. The, the kind of games we weren't getting any of in the first half of the season at Carrow Road when teams would just come and, and stick 10 behind the ball. But with Reading having kind of given up the ghost on their playoff chase, they obviously thought, let's throw a bit of caution to the wind and we just tore them apart, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it 
I, I'm not saying anything that no Norwich fan hasn't already thought, but it is so thoroughly deserved. 96 points is our, uh, is it 96? Yeah, it is 96. Yeah. It's our best total ever. Um, and I think this side has a has a claim. Well, obviously, it's all entirely subjective to say that we are, this is the best Norwich City team we've ever had. And um, I think Saturday was kind of further vindication of that, really. There is a piece of that on The Athletic. But yeah, 96 points, more than they got in League One. Which is, um, I mean, and that was kind of like, well, we're not supposed to be at this level. So, of course, we've won the division. But um, fun and games. Dan, where were you? Yeah, I was at home, as I have been for most of the games this season. Um, uh, enjoying it. It was quite uh, gladdening to watch the scenes at uh, full time and afterwards as well, uh, with people gathering outside Cairo, just, you know, despite obviously breaking social distancing, etc. But it was seemed very friendly. Um, seemed spontaneous as well so that was lovely to see and you could see the players really enjoyed it as well they've not had a chance to celebrate with any of the fans even you know walking around the city they've not really had a chance to do that like they normally would so it was good that they've got that kind of uh, ability you know the ability to celebrate with the fans after such a long uh, season. Now guys um, I mean I was there, so this is an opportunity for you guys to ask me anything about the occasion that you're maybe desperate to ask and I can't possibly think of, given it's a bank holiday Monday. Um, but it was, uh, it, was, it was curious interviewing people while all the celebrations were going on outside and the stadium was still empty. That was really strange. I saw you on there um, when uh, the camera panned in at the end, so 15, 20 minutes after full time, panned in on Stuart Webber doing his man of the people walk around the ground fist bumping everyone including yourself and Archant's Dave Freezer and that just sort of summed up the kind of what he brings to this club Stuart Webber in a way he he treats everyone equally he ensures that everyone gets as much equal amount of credit as well uh, very business-like and then as I think you wrote in your piece he was sort of soon off after that because he's got a Premier League season to plan for Yes, which I, th- I think is the last one's been keeping him up at night, to be honest, um, all, all this year. So um, it'll be, uh, I think that was what he revealed on the High Performance Podcast, which is well worth a listen, by the way. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, Reading, just touching on the game, like you said, Steve, there was one point, I think, where Reading were breaking forward and they had about eight people forwards on the counter. I was like, that is a lot of people in attack. But I guess part of the problem was that they were so open at the back. And I mean, Norwich did take them apart in the second half and there was some some wonderful football, which I guess we've all grown accustomed to. And I guess we're all looking at it thinking, well, let's just enjoy this while we can, because we know what next season will be like, or maybe we don't, who knows? I think there's a lot of second guessing going on, obviously, but um, did anything stick out from you? I have to say again, Kieran Dow, two goals. And I, I, I was speaking to him after the game and I didn't really want to tell him, you know, it's, it's interesting, Kieran, isn't it? How you sort of drift from, you know, scoring goals, creating goals, and then just completely drifting in a game without really, and then getting substituted. <laughs> Which yeah, I'd, I'd say I, that's probably not a good question to put to No, No, I sort, of, I sort of, I mentioned the assists and goals and then shied away from the last bit. <laughs> but I mean, it, it has been a bit like that. And I said, I guess he's that kind of player. That's what it's always felt to me. And if he's having an impact in more games than he's not, then it actually is, is fine. Yeah, I was thinking about Dowell actually, and I, I, I don't think he's quite he's as much of a natural fit for the way that we like to play as, um, say, a Stephen or a Vrancic. I think he he can often give possession away more readily than those two in terms of our build-up play. He's maybe not quite as good at linking up, but but I, what he does give you, or has has given us certainly over the last few weeks, is is more of a, a goal threat, and I think he is someone who will take chances um, more than perhaps either of those two do. I know Vrancic's goal record is not bad; he hasn't scored 
in quite a long time, even in the run when he was in the team. So I think, I think, and actually that that's something that we really did lack. Um, certainly the beginning of last season when we were creating and not and not scoring. Um, just to go back to something else. I mean, talk about Reading again. I just had a quick look at that. We had twelve shots on target, and the last time we had more than that in the game was actually the seven-one against Reading four years ago. So they were incredibly open, and I I did look at their back. Their defence was. Um, Gibson and Holmes, two young centre halves, isn't it? And I thought, well, maybe we we're lucky to play them on a, you know, a, a time when they've got those two at the back. But then I thought, we've got an eighteen-year-old centre half playing. So, <laughs> and I, and I think that's that for me encapsulates what part of the reason why Norwich is so this Norwich City vintage, it just works so well because you can stick a, a an eighteen-year-old centre half who, who already knows exactly the way that we're going to play and, and can just fit in there. I mean, you know. Obviously, it takes a bit of talent as well, but it, it, just the fact that he'd never played for the first team before and has come in. Omar Bamadeli obviously had a brilliant game on Saturday, I thought, and looked so natural. And I think that's the thing. Injuries have not derailed us at all this season. And um, yeah, and, and just the fact that we've, we've lost two centre-halves going to stick someone in it doesn't make any difference. It's fantastic. He was outstanding, wasn't he, on, on Saturday, I thought, Dan? Yeah, really excellent. And I, I agree with Steve's point. And I think I made it last time I was on here when um, that period in, was it October, when we went through so many injuries, but players slotted in because they're so well coached and the structure is so well known to them. And I think that's also a difference to 2018-19 when we went up as well. I think it's easier to see the obvious patterns of play on the field now than it was then when we would rely on sort of last minute winners and quick breaks and sort of relentless pressure. This time it's it's a bit more structured. And I think uh, Tim Krull mentioned in a, I think it was an interview in the mirror, uh, saying he's seen sort of patterns of play on the field ahead of him that he's not even seeing with the Dutch national side at the moment. So I think, you know, that's the benefit of sticking with a manager as well, isn't it? When things go wrong, if you stick with a manager and believe in him, that kind of structure and that kind of basis of performance only in, improves and becomes more ingrained as well. And that's the kind of thing that should hopefully stand us in a little bit more good stead and a better position when we do get to the Premier League in three months' time. Oh, <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> Fixtures in June. Uh, yeah, it's some really interesting stuff, actually, from, from Tim Krull after the game and him talking about them being a bit more streetwise and not, how did he put it? He said, not, not, not running around like, as if they've got to do everything all the time, but actually being having a bit more control about them which again, you get from maybe having done it once. And even when Norwich got relegated, I felt like one of the disappointing factors was I didn't know whether they would get a second go at it because I feel like they, they are quite quick learners as a, as a group and as a people in the club. So it, um, it will be fascinating from here, most definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think just, just quickly, the, the word you used there, control, is, is the one that I would, that's the key difference between this side and the side of two years ago. It just, it feels like we're completely in control of games this season. Whether we'll still be able to exert that next year against better sides uh, remains to be seen. But I think we've, we've, it does feel like we've got a better chance. I still end up watching uh, Match of the Day and Highlights thing in, in recent weeks and just going, that's, that's, <laughs> that's different, isn't it? <laughs> that is a different level. Having obviously completely forgotten what it was like uh, last season watching it in person. Um, we did also have this the social media uh, boycott. Uh, that took place last week. I, I don't know if we, I don't think we actually properly talked about it last week, but um, we're still in it as we record. Um, it's very strange for me. I don't know what your, your guys' experiences of it, but for me, very, really, really detached, a bit more straightforward, got to be honest. Um, but, but 
everything felt quite um, detached. The whole point of it is obviously hugely important. And as I think I, I put on my channels um, before the boycott took place, I'm, I'm desperately hoping this is something that that sticks rather than um, a big gesture that everyone's really happy to make. And I've nothing worse than seeing media organisations um, doing it and explaining how great they are for doing it and it becoming horribly jingoistic, which I'm, you know, maybe isn't quite the right word, but um, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the gesture. I want to see action off the back of it. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see everyone going back on Tuesday as if nothing's happened. And and, and I'm talking about, you know, um, the companies, but also the people who seem incapable of knowing what um, what being a nice human is. Um, but uh, I mean, what was it? What was it like for you guys following everything and 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 your views on it all, Dan? Yeah, it was interesting having to go get the team line up from Canaries.co.uk was uh, took me back to 2010 or <laughs> something like that. Um, but I think it's absolutely the it was the right it's the right thing to do. I'd like to see it again, you know, during the Euros potentially as well. I think reform is needed and we can't just rely on the social media companies to do that internally i think it takes unified pressure and it unified pressure that hits them in the pocket and they rely on ad revenue through impressions and engagements and sharing so anything that hits them there with direct action can could lead to change i think it, it needs more than this it, otherwise it does just become a bit of an empty gesture if it's just a one-off and it's important that especially with Twitter, less so with Instagram, but it's important that um, just how dominant sport is on Twitter and how reliant on sport is when you think that um, Man United have more followers than McDonald's, Apple, Adidas, Nike combined. That's the power of sport on Twitter. Um, so a blanket sort of boycott across sports, not just football, I know some other sports joined in as well, does have that sort of power, I think, to hit them in the pocket. So I don't think it was an empty gesture, as some people were suggesting. I think it is. it has to be the start of something. And as we've seen with football protests, which I guess we won't really get into uh, in front of, after the year, but it, it, it kind of ended the European Super League. And there's no reason why unified process a protest can't work to speed up the reforms in social media companies. And, you know, they've not done enough. Uh, they are doing some things, though, um, but they can take more action. They can police it themselves better. They just choose not to because they know that sort of hate and abuse can drive a lot of traffic, which drives their revenues. Um, so I do, I do think protest is important. Brilliantly said, Dan. Yeah, I mean, Dan, Dan just said it brilliantly, really. Um, I, I elected not to tweet this weekend for what, whatever difference that made. But I, I, I think I think it's it's something that needs to be done. Um uh, from from a personal perspective, I'm I'm lucky in that I don't receive a lot of abuse and haven't yet. But but I think it's you know it's it's the it's the worst side of social media, obviously. And um, I, I, nothing's going to as, as Dan says, the, the tech companies are not going to do this on their own, and it, and it's going to take a, a a huge. It's going it's going to take something like this and more uh, before it can be eradicated. Maybe it never will be eradicated, but um, you know, I, I think pe people have knocked it, um, and I think that kind of misses the point. Uh, you're right; we can't just go back to how it was. But you know, un unless unless people kind of step up, and and sport is the, you know, uh, sport. It, I, th I I I suppose I live in that bubble where I follow lots of football teams, uh, lots of sport teams, and and 
perhaps I notice it more, but it does seem that in terms of that, that's a huge part of the way that social media is, is run. And without that, my timeline over the weekend felt quite empty. Um, so I think it, it will make a difference and I hope it does. Too true. Um, Steve, did you still combi- compile some stats, even though you didn't get to tweet them or did you take the weekend off? I've kind of half taken the weekend off. Normally <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't bother, but I just think because we've won the title, it feels like I've had stuff, which, you know, which I've had a couple of weeks ago. Well, we've, so, got, we've got a podcast now. If you want to rattle any of them off. <laughs> we think I came prepared with them. Oh, no. The only one that's... Yes, I knew there'd be one. We now have more like EFL titles this century. No, no teams had four this century in terms of um, championship, League One, League Two. So we're the first to get to four. Um, I would imagine Manchester United and Chelsea have probably got more than that. Um, they bought theirs, don't we're, they? We're not, interested in, we're not interested in Premier League right yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. There's a little freebie. I think they said on the coverage, if we win, if we beat Barnsley, that's, that'll be the first time we've won 30 games in a season. I don't know if, if NCFC numbers can verify that. Which I yeah. think... Yeah. Um, and you could maybe check that if you're online you could check this Steve but I, yeah I think I think Norwich were, were capable of beating Reading's record of but I think that was 31 wins in a season um, or or it was 30 so I wonder can Norwich equal it or would, would was 31 maybe their record I can't remember now I can have a quick look now I would imagine because they got 106 points in they so I'd imagine they probably did get more than 30 wins but um, I can check the the um... The other one that I had a quick look at that just has sprung to mind is I think that Tami Puki will be the first player to score 25 plus goals in two title winning seasons since Bobby Zamora for Brighton, I think, in that's something like 2002. So that's a slightly more niche one. But uh, Woof. I mean, the, the thing that struck me uh, writing my piece from the weekend, which of course you can read on The Athletic, is that Daniel Farker has now won more championship titles than he has manager of the month awards um which is quite (laughs) probably not really how it should work but uh there we go do you like formula one but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on then we have the podcast for you introducing the race f1 briefing the podcast that brings you the latest f1 headlines in 15 minutes or less With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. let's move on to uh, things we are not going to talk about uh, as is our regular section these are the things that have happened and deserve acknowledgement but we are only going to acknowledge them by stating how we are not going to talk about them hope that makes sense Uh, we also only have three minutes to do it which of course we always religiously stick to therefore uh, cue the dramatic music please producer ollie Right then, this week I am not going to talk about uh, Norwich City's celebration shirts, although they looked very nice, I thought, and they they did a they did a they did a job. Um, they sold out very quickly. If you got one, well done. Um, 
think that probably um, does it in terms of making sure Norwich have a new uh, kit supplier next season, but we probably better not talk about that. Oh, yeah. uh, it <laughs> um, makes me worried about who the new kit sponsor might be next season, potentially as well. Well, do you want to do have a, anyone have a guess at who they'd like? Or It's going to be another uh, upsettingly enormous uh, betting firm, I imagine, isn't it? Oh, you're talking about the show? Yeah, the shirt, the shirt sponsor, sponsor. Sorry, yeah. kit manufacturer. Did I say kit manufacturer? I can't remember. You did, yeah. I was uh, oh, both of the engine, I guess, weren't we? We'll see. Yeah, it'd be really interesting who, who, who it is. But don't know is, is the answer there. Um, there. There we go. Anyway, that's, I'm not going to talk about that. Anyone else? Steve or Dan? Go on, you opened your mouth. Uh, Tet's leaving, potentially. that would That's just too much to... <laughs> And I hope if he does leave that, obviously he gets a good send off with crowds at some point as well for a testimonial. Testimonial. Um, I mean, him coming on with Mario at the same time with about 10 minutes to go did feel a bit like, don't do this, that's horrible. (laughs) My feeling with Teddy, absolutely legend obviously, but um, if if it gets to November next season and we're thinking, oh, I wish we'd kept Alex Teddy, we could really do with him now probably means things haven't haven't gone that well. So I would personally give him an extra year just because he seems like a lovely bloke and everybody likes him. He's a great, seems to be a great personality around the club. Um, but in terms of his first team days, you kind of think a 36-year-old Tete at Premier League level is probably not going to keep us in the Prem. Yeah, but I kind of agree with you. I would keep him around. I think he just sets the like cultural architects. I think he could be, re- especially when you're losing Ollie Skip, which is probably going to happen. Uh, one of the things I didn't want to talk about was his injury because it does sound like a bad one. So he's certainly not going to play against Barnsley and um, we'll have to see how bad it is. But, you know, hopefully he's you know, good for next, good to go for next season. But that might make Norwich's decision up for them if they want someone in early and no umming and ahhing. So maybe it will help. But it's obviously a big blow for him. Although I have to say, I'm glad it didn't happen like three or four months ago. <laughs> I'd keep him as well. I just don't think he can ever have as much as many physical presences presence in the middle of the park in the Premier League. Uh, so I think if even if Teddy's like third choice DM uh, defensive midfielder, then I'd absolutely keep him still. Exactly, because I think you can just afford to have him around. I, I think it's different with Mario because I think Mario deserves to go out and play some football, and it's just mm. for him really. Um, but yeah, for Tets. But we don't know. Maybe that will happen. It just seems, and no one's saying anything, but it does seem like they're, they're both done. So there we go. Uh, I didn't want to talk about the fans congregating um, because, as Dan said, it, you know, I, we all know the wrongs of it. And we we all saw what was happening. It's, I don't know. I, I, I'm tired of the whole situation, so I'm not going to start getting on my high horse with it, to be honest. Um, so there we go. Uh, anything else anyone doesn't want to talk about? Oh, the music's finished, but there you go. You can have one each if you want, one each. Well, just just Kenny, uh, Kenny's dancing. I feel like we should just keep him around as well, so that every two years we can see him like kind of just parading around. I, I still have the image of him doing that with Scotland, and and we seem to have adopted the uh, yes, sir, I can boogie as well, which I, I feel like that's probably his influence. That that's now become a a, a club anthem in our dressing room. <laughs> this is true. I mean, I hope Kenny celebrates like that if we stay up next season. That that I think should be a minimum. Yeah, yeah. Dan. Yeah, Kenny and Kenny in his pants this time next season would be good, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> one, th- obviously, let's all enjoy Oakwell for the on Saturday. Is it Saturday or Sunday? On Saturday, it is Saturday, twelve thirty uh, kickoff for the last ninety minutes without VAR for what may be a, a good long while. Hopefully, if we're successful in the Premier League, but let's enjoy that while it lasts. Surely they'll spend all summer improving VAR so it's not as bad, right? <laughs> for next, is that that's what happens? Yeah. Let's also hope for a horrendous decision that goes in our favour and can't be overturned on Saturday as well. (laughs) Yeah, imagine it. Imagine it.
Right, let's have some centerfold, shall we? It was awards galore uh, since we were last on the pod. We had the EFL awards. We had Norwich's Player of the Season awards. They both come up. And also, guys, if you um, want to think of any bonus awards that should be um, dished out, uh, that's obviously me giving you a huge amount of notice, then um, you can think about that uh, in over the course of this section. Um, and likewise, you guys and girls out there, if you can think of any bonus awards that should get flagged up, we can go through them uh, next week in our final podcast of the season. Um, we can have like a bonus mini award section. But uh, the EFL Awards, um, which is a fine night to be involved in, but obviously this was kind of a remote Sky Sports job that um, obviously went out on Thursday night because you wouldn't want to do that during a social media boycott. Um, so, yeah, uh, team, I'm sure you've all seen it, but in the EFL Championship team of the season, we had Grant Hanley, Tamer Bukki, Emmy Buendia and Max Ahrens. Um, rather inexplicable absence of Tim Krull, I would say. And it was managed by Daniel Farker. So we now have to end all conversations about Daniel Farker not getting recognition because that is significant recognition we'll see what the lma awards dish out um later in the summer um and obviously emmy buendia was also named championship player of the season as well which i think we've all kind of seen firsthand uh, max aaron's didn't one didn't win young efl player of the season that went to um elise yes it did, did it? Michael Elise, um, who had a very good season and actually looked quite handy on Saturday too. Um, recognition, yes, boys, from the EFL. Happy? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I I don't hold much stock by the individual awards that much because I, I think they are entirely subjective and, and really don't matter a great deal in the grand scheme of things. However, I do <laughs> think it would have been... Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, let's move um, No, but I, I do think it would have been... Um, a bit of a travesty had Emmy Buendia not been recognised as as the best player in in the championship this year. I haven't seen Ivan Tony play ninety minutes every week, but I just struggle to believe that that anybody has has been as consistently good and as as, as entertaining as Emmy. And I I just feel that actually yes, if you if you're going to reward it, if you're going to give out individual awards, there's an individual who absolutely deserves one, um, and. I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of in terms of great seasons, there's not been that many better for us that I can remember. Um, he's just been so influential almost from minute one. Not quite, um, but he's got better <laughs> and better as it's gone on, really, hasn't he? So, yeah, very pleased for him, I think, more than anything else. Well, he had a suspension to see out, didn't he, at the start of the season, um, yeah. which does seem to happen. Um, so hopefully there won't be one uh, this time around. I mean, I saw a debate um, on the Thursday or Friday about you know best championship players in recent memory and I think Adele Tarapt and and Ruben Neves were the two that were mentioned and I mean I, I think you know if to, to say Emmy would be anywhere near Ruben Neves's level I think would be fair um, and also I think he's probably got much more potential to for a longevity than Adele Tarapt would be my um, would be my take on it but but there we go. I mean, do we assume, Dan, that Tim Krull wasn't goalkeeper because Norwich couldn't have more than, or, you know, couldn't have five players in the team? Yeah, were, were there any other, because Begovic got it, didn't he? Were there any other Bournemouth players? I can't remember if there were. So, Dan Juma was in it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, fair enough. And it's, um, I don't know, Begovic is an excellent goalkeeper and there was a time before we got Tim Krull, I thought it would be great to get him in, actually, but Krull's been, I mean, he's barely put a foot wrong, has he? Maybe a few injuries, 
Vigovic has made what? so many errors. <laughs> He's made loads of mistakes. I've, I've, I've not seen enough of Bournemouth this season to, to know that, but I mean... He's a highly rated keeper, I guess. But yeah, Krull's barely done anything wrong, has he? And he's got the most watch saves per shot in the championship as well, Krull has. But is Dan Juma in the side? Because it, it made me think, actually, with Elise and Dan Juma, that's probably the kind of player we uh, and Saar, you know, and these expect Dan Juma and Saar are what combined like £70 million worth of talent there. But that's probably the kind of player we've missed in our squad. They're a sort of step up from Hernandez and Hetter, aren't they? And I wonder if that's the kind of position we'll be looking to recruit someone with a bit of physicality and pace that those guys have. I wonder with Tim whether him missing a large chunk of the season, well, a large chunk of what, 10, 15 games, whatever it was that McGovern stepped in for, meant they thought, well, Begovic just played more games, therefore he's probably more deserving, which is why I think these team of the season things are a bit of a nonsense because you can't possibly watch everyone play every game. So, um, so may- maybe that was why. Obviously, we would have given it to Tim, but Obviously. obviously, and obviously, yeah. picking picking Tony Ampuki's just bailing out, isn't it? Because no wow. one plays no one plays two up front anymore. So they've just they've decided to go two up front because they couldn't pick between them. I mean, someone someone made the point that you had um, you had Puki, Tony, Buendia, Danjuma, Alise, and I can't remember who the other one was, but it was literally like you have not got much midfield protection there. <laughs> From I noticed Bradley Johnson uh, tweeting you, Michael, in the week yes. saying no Ollie Skip, and I thought it's probably a fair point that Skip does get in there, but actually that what he provides in terms of kind of quantifying the impact is not as great as someone like Alise and um, obviously Buendia, who are going to get a lot more goals and assists. Exactly, which um, again makes a mockery of the whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> we uh, we also had Norwich's Player of the Season award, which uh, went to Emmy Buendia, of course. Uh, Grant Halley was second, and um, Ollie Skip was third. So at least Ollie Skip got some recognition there because the fact he didn't appear in any sort of uh, EFL awards did, did seem rather strange. But there we go. Um, so that was grand. Uh, any? Are you happy with the three? Uh, yeah, they're the. Yeah, the top definitely. Emmy and uh, Hanley was number two. It's just in, and you can so you can argue for anyone else really in that in that top three. But I think it's just interesting that we've almost taken Pookie's goals for granted so much that a guy with twenty six goals this season is not. I think he was fourth actually, but he's not got into the top three. Is uh, pretty extraordinary and just shows the strength across that side this season. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing about Puki. Actually, just he's had a, he's had a brilliant season, almost going unnoticed. Uh, what I enjoy about the player of the season is just how tiny the second and third trophies are compared to Emmy Bridges. <laughs> so I think so, I can't remember who it was. And apologies for not crediting, but someone saying that they're the same size because Hanley had this one that was about kind of a foot <laughs> tall, and Emmy's holding one that's almost you know as big as his torso. Yeah, I do wish they were exact replicas, only really small. I think that's what they probably should have done rather than slightly different trophies. But there we go. Um, so, uh, yeah, any bonus awards? We could have Unsung Hero, which I asked Daniel Farker ahead of the game at the weekend. Um, he gave it to all his backroom staff, obviously, because that's you know the nice thing to do. Unsung Hero has got to be Sorensen, surely, filling in at left back uh, for so long, unfailingly. Um, I did think of a manager award for trolling your own player. could be Daniel Farker's famous... Uh, impression of Giannoulis's throwing, which remains a highlight of this season for me. The gif is a is a wonder. I, I was really disappointed actually when uh, was it Cantwell? I think scooped one over uh, on Saturday that it didn't then cut to Daniel Farker doing an impression of that as well. 
with that when he tried to yeah when he tried to scoop the through ball pass yeah i can tell you after that he was shouting serious passes serious passes with i think ex, ex, expletives um in between but of course then of course todd pulled off the same pass and kieran dal scored from it so you know what's a serious pass who knows getting it right indeed uh, anything else i mean most yeah i suppose most ignored player almost feels like max aarons because no one's talked about him in anything yet his consistency has been nuts i think we spoke about that on the pod last week Max Aarons. Did I say Aarons again? Oh. That that yeah. most ridiculous decision is him changing his name. Although <laughs> it isn't changed, obviously. It was just like the realisation, but... Oof. Um, I mean, I, I would like to see... A, I mean, what, what, do you think Emmy stole his own, you know, best bit of skill of the season with that Rabona to team? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that someone is going to put together a compilation of all the brilliant bits of Buendia skill and and, you know, bringing the ball down... Um, under a spell, and just maybe have a five-minute video of that. Can can someone please do that? Because I think yeah. I think that now I think I think that that pass on Saturday might have just won it for me. That was incredible. How was Emmy's goal not in the goals of the season for the EFL awards as well? By the way, I was watching them all going. Well, that's not better. Well, that's not better. But uh, yeah, anyway, maybe we've done with that debate. Well, look, um, uh, that's one for you out there. Where if you're using social media after Monday, um, if anyone can think of any bonus awards and you want to throw them at us, we'll um, compile them for next week. Um, uh, the more wonderful and random, the better. Um, we will have a think and a and a and a, a go at trying to come up with some more as well for for next week's end of season podcast, which is of course hugely exciting. Okay, uh, cue John Motson. This is almost fantasy football. Not much crystal ball gazing now because there's nothing else really to predict. Um, and we're not going to talk about the summer. Uh, or maybe we can do that next week. Uh, Norwich go to Barnsley. Barnsley are in the playoffs and I think feel like they're in, you know, kind of let's prepare for that mode, which I guess you can understand. I don't know how much is there is really riding on the top six or the top or the four playoff places anyway right now. Um, but as always, we like to have a little look and, and maybe predict what's uh, what's going on. Um, anything anything you want to predict at the weekend then for painting the picture so everyone can laugh at us for hindsight? Um, I mean, Norwich, it's kind of the flip side of the FA Cup game, I suppose, isn't it? Barnsley have probably got their minds on other things, um, whereas Norwich are like, well, let's get to 99 points. Yeah, a difficult one to predict, isn't it, with two teams who've effectively got nothing to play for. I, I think that might work in our favour. It's going to be a difficult. I think it'll be a really fun game, actually. I think yeah. I think there might be goals at, at both ends, and I hope I hope I'm just getting greedy now. But I, I would like us to get to to 99. Um, and I don't see Farker changing the team much. To you, I think he'll probably stick with his tried and tried and tested. I don't see him changing much. I don't see him experimenting. Um, I suppose it's potentially a chance. Well, as far as the decision, is it Alex Tetty or um, Jakob Sorensen who plays in place of Oli Skip? I think it would go Sorensen on the basis that Sorensen might get game time there next season um, and maybe throw Tetty on as for a final, possibly final. Hurrah. I don't see Jakob as a as an Ollie Skip replacement, I have to be honest. No, neither do I. But I, bet he, players. but I suppose he will get some sort of game time there. So maybe maybe now's the time to try. Quick quick question, Michael. Playoff, playoff winners for you? Well, I've kind of felt it'd be Bournemouth. I, don't, I, I know they've sort of dipped out of form a little bit, but at this point, you probably can't really gauge their form. I just think they'll have the quality to see it out. And um, Brentford will be really interesting because they have got the experience of last year. So, and they also probably are preparing themselves and know what's coming, whereas you know Bournemouth won't have done this. So, um, yeah, really tricky. Uh, probably one of those two. 
Um, I just wonder about Bournemouth's um, Premier League experienced. Who's going to win the playoffs, Dan? Brentford. They seem to hit form, haven't they, now? Although, I mean, Brentford or Barnsley, either would be a great story. As long as it's not Bournemouth, then I'm happy. Barnsley would be great from a Norwich perspective, surely, because you know you'd like to think Norwich could finish above Barnsley next year. <laughs> let's get let's get straight to the. You'd like to think the same would apply to any of the playoff teams, hopefully. Uh, one thing I uh, haven't flagged up is uh, my piece with Todd Cantwell. That was uh, his game in his words, or my game in my words from Todd Cantwell, um, which I hope you've enjoyed. If you haven't checked it out please give it a read on the athletics one of those pieces where um i really enjoyed doing it and it was something hopefully a bit different to what you've read out there before really nice to talk to todd in depth about his what he does and why he does it and how he does it and to be honest i could have sat there talking to him for hours about it but they did have to chuck me uh chuck me off uh, the uh, conversation eventually but uh, and you know he was fine with me he wasn't he wasn't you know we he, we seemed to be on good terms which is good all all all, all grand um so good old todd well done. I thought he was very good on Saturday against Reading, actually, as well. Um, I look forward to seeing him in the Premier League at Norwich, presumably. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what we're just assuming, isn't it, with a lot of people at the moment? Are we? Yeah, it was a nice piece as well. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. I thought he was, he's, I mean, he's really bright when he talks about football, isn't he? He's, I mean, he, he loves football. He's really engaging about it. I thought it was really interesting that he sort of acknowledged how much better his left foot is now as well, which I think is transformed his game he's gone from being quite predictable I think to now being unpredictable so I think he's a much better player than he was when we started the last Premier League season I find it really interesting trying to talk to him about um you know shapes and patterns of play and what goes into it and what he's looking for whenever he does it and you kind of kept coming back to this player who loves the freedom of what he's doing and actually so much of it comes down to Steve what what Todd's processing in his head and what he's looking for. And, and all of them in a way, you know, we, we give Daniel Farker a lot of credit and completely deserve for the way he's managing the squad and all that sort of stuff. But then also on the pitch, as well as they looked really well coached in terms of what they're doing, it also is a, from a degree of confidence and um, assurity in their ability and their own decision-making in a way. Yeah, I think I said it last time I was on about Todd, actually, just, just how confident he looks now and com- compared to, this time a year ago, this time two years ago. And I, I think that belief coupled with, um, he's obviously really, really well coached. And also I think I think the fact that he's given that freedom, he's a player that, that really benefits from that. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do next year because I think he every season he's gone up another level that we've seen him. So uh, if he can continue to do that, then uh, yeah, he'll, he'll have a really good season next year. Hopefully he's not the only one. That would be exciting. Uh, right. Um, well, I think we decided Norwich are going to win about 6-0 at Barnsley because their minds elsewhere. Um, we've decided on the playoffs. So I think job done there. That's all grand. And therefore, that is it for this week's On The Ball. Uh, if you're yet to, please make sure you subscribe via your podcast player of choice. The pod is available free for everyone on your usual player and ad-free to subscribers of The Athletic via our app. Leave a review or rating if you get the chance. And if you want to uh, get in touch with any topic proposals, uh, then you can sling me a direct message on Twitter, which is at Michael J. Bailey. And I'll be looking at those from Tuesday onwards. Um, In the meantime, a big thank you to our guests this evening, who were Steve. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Michael. We'll be back next week at the usual time for this season's final on the ball, a Norwich City Champions podcast from The Athletic. Until then, never mind the danger. 
and we're clear. There we go. Uh, Steve and Dan, uh, welcome to Wits End. How are we feeling? How are we, how are we looking? Are we happy on yeah. this Monday morning? That was definitely the highest pitch start we've ever had to a Wits End, though. <laughs> the closest, the closest I'm going to get... <laughs> the closest i'm going to get to a stephen gerrard impression i'm still recovering from my zoom freezing and uh all that was playing was you sounding like you were tutting me oh all amazing was... is that what happened that's that's what that's what did happen i don't yeah, know what you just made but he didn't approve of it just really rating my performance poorly there <laughs> not at all i think that was probably the best podcast we've ever done <laughs> So there we go. Uh, welcome to Wits End, everyone. All of you out there, welcome all of you Twitterkers. We're all Twitterkers here. And if any of you have stumbled across this for the first time, you are now a Twitterker too. Uh, if you're wondering what's going on, listen to On The Ball podcast number 42, which went live on September the 8th. It's all explained there. Imagine when we get to a year of Wits End. What will we have achieved? I don't, I don't think we want to think about that. Not really. <laughs> otherwise, the word, the word like futility just springs to mind. <laughs> Well, look, if, if you want to, if you want to impact Witsend, any of you out there, all you need to do is email us and you can do that directly to this specific part of the podcast with an email to Twitterkers, Twitter, K-E-R-S at iCloud.com. Uh, or you can use the hashtag Twitterkers on Twitter and then you can contact us that way. But of course, um, don't put what it's for because this is the secret group. Uh, what have we got this week? What does anyone want to bring up? Uh, there is the website. The website's been updated with um, with a champion's banner and yellow and green confetti, I noticed, which is lovely. It's a suitable champion's celebration on uh, twitterkers.co.uk, which is indeed wonderful to see. And also we had some tweets. Now, what do we did? Uh, so from the previous week, we were talking about players who maybe had a better song than their ability which again strikes me as slightly harsh, but a James Hotchkiss did send a gif of Elvis doing Suspicious Minds um, with the line Libra, Mark Libra. Now, I loved Mark Libra. I thought he's a brilliant player, but I mean, you know, probably not the most reliable for when he could turn it on and helped by the fact he scored a wonderful goal eight seconds after coming on against Manchester City on his debut. I Sons. don't remember that, Charles. I remember Mark Libra, but I don't remember the. the I'm glad the you Libra. said that, Steve, because yeah. Really? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah. Well, well, if, well, unless it's a figment of someone's imagination, I don't know. But I was pretty sure that was the chant. But there we go. Okay. Well, of course, Ollie Skip did finally get a song on Saturday, which was Oliver Skip. We want you to stay. Which is uh... gone the whole season. Was only let, left one game out because he played. 24 hours before it or something and it just I'm he done, didn't lads. want to go down the tunnel either did he it was it was so alien to him having to leave <laughs> the pitch before he was supposed to he didn't know where to go he did get to do the uh waving the crutches up in the air celebration during the uh you know when the team are jumping up and down which um is I don't know there's something there's something really there's something really comical about that I, and I, I don't know what it is but it was your foot in a big cast as well makes it even more <laughs> comical doesn't it there's got to be a small chance he turns up at Oakwell in crutches and plays hasn't there the way down <laughs> <of Oakwell>. <laughs> <laughs> I, would you be allowed I mean I guess a protective boot is just like a big shin pad really isn't it yeah that's true yeah you, you can, can do a lot really, of damage with that welly one in from 40 yards with that yeah. can't you I think yeah. maybe throw Tetty on for Sorensen with 10 minutes to go and then just bring Skip on for Tetty like <laughs> with another five minutes to go so that Tetty can have his moment and then have it again when he goes off and then Skip can have oh, one too. I imagine just trying to wait for the big goodbye but there's no one there to say it no one there to say it it is, um, it is mad actually to think that Oakwell could be a venue for a Premier League match next season that we could be back there in the Premier League 
In fairness, they've improved the press box significantly, and there are far fewer outdoor pee up a wall toilets. So they've made significant investment there. I was there was the Daniel Fucker's first season, it, it, the press box was, was grim. Yes. It was like yeah. a row, row of school desks, wasn't it? Yeah. But then they brought in four ways, so you could plug in your laptop, and before you knew it, they had desks. So, and now they're um, nearly in the Premier League. So exactly. start with the press box, improve that, and see what happens on the pitch. I love listening to you know reporters and press officers talk about the quality of the ground in relation to how good the, the press box is. What kind of volivons do they do? At, uh, <laughs> I should say, Oakwell's a great ground, though. It is yeah. one of my favourite to visit. Well, I can make a quick question to both of you. What's yes. The worst, what's the worst ground for um, in terms of press box? press officer conditions or that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I always thought Griffin Park was pretty terrible for that reason that there wasn't enough route. You, you could sit there, so you had to have your arms by your side. So there's no real working space. Um, and then likewise, if you're at the end of that row and you've got you know eight journalists next to you, they all have to leave you to get out, whether it's at halftime or whatever. And then you'd go down to a room and, you know, it's just like a bit, a bit of a classroom. At Griffin Park, you had the massive pillar that got in the way of uh, watching any penalty that was being taken as well. Yeah, that's a problem but at Elland Road. There's a, there's a post in, in the way of each penalty area, which is like, I literally can't see the most important part of the pitch from this seat. What, and you want me to cover the game? Or well, they don't obviously want you to cover the game, but yeah. Uh, and also... Is it the London Stadium, West Ham's ground? That you are so far away, and it's uh, I can't. I haven't been as a fan to that stadium. I can't. I cannot imagine how soulless it is there. Oh, as, I see, see, I always think about the Olympics when I'm there, so I'm, I get a kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> so yeah. I really enjoy it. Um, Goodison Park is another way you're just sort of entrapped, really, in 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 it. Um, so it's those older grounds, really, but. You know, there's some very nice grounds to go and watch football. And I know the away fans, hopefully they get to go. Well, they're all the lovely to watch up from, really, especially when you're doing it for free. They're all lovely to watch from. We're talking about professional issues here. More than oh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, sorry to, to bang on about this, but being at Millwall when we lost 4-0 and being sat on the end of the road next to the Millwall fans was... Uh, one of the scariest uh, experiences in my life, but probably not as scary as if we'd been winning 4-0, though. Exactly. So I was quite grateful that we were losing. <laughs> That's the way, most definitely. I did get some uh, messages as well. The other thing we've been doing is um, pictures of you in the background of um, of, uh, of stills on the television or whichever. So uh, Graham uh, Norman got in touch. Graham is um, next to the dugout celebrating, um, I think that's... Justin Fashion's goal against mm -hmm. Liverpool, the iconic goal. And he's with his kids, and apparently they weren't that impressed because they were more interested in uh, Kevin Keegan's perm. Um, but what a wonderful screen image. So there we go. Um, I will retweet that later in the week, Graham. So there we go. Um, that's great. Um, there was the one I forgot about last week, and I found it. It was from Sinsoed, C-Y-N-C-O-E-D. I've almost certainly not pronounced that properly, um, but he, oh, it's Ed. So his name is Ed. That's easier. <laughs> he had sent me a direct message on uh, Twitter that he was, he knew where his seat was and he was constantly in the background on all of the BBC sport stills in 2014. Um, I think that was probably because Norwich conceded a lot of goals by the look of it. There's another really good one from uh, Ben Bray at 99 Ben Bray one on Twitter. It's actually at the London Stadium. Oh, no, it might be at Upton Park, actually, but it's away to West Ham. And uh, Park. Cameron Jerome has just missed 
uh, and there's a series of fans, all of them behind the goal with their hands on their heads, mouths open wide in disbelief at the fact that he hasn't scored. I don't know which one Ben is, but um, there are some absolutely fantastic. All suffering from Cameron Jerome syndrome though. (laughs) I mean, you'd think that by then they they wouldn't have looked quite so shocked, but... um... They might have readied themselves by then. (laughs) Well, I remember him getting asked by my colleague, uh, Dave Freezer, whether, you know, why he couldn't cut it in the Premier League. And that was in the uh, mix zone at Wembley just after the playoff final. (laughs) So I think he swore at him. Um, uh... Your Kieran Dale question. (laughs) (laughs) Quite. Um, One slight worrying development is that Charlie, who... uh, I think, I don't know if I'm outing him here, uh, who runs the Emmy Other Business account, appears to have uh, changed his his account name to Kenny Other Business. So I don't know if he's got wind of Emmy leaving already or what that is, or whether <laughs> he's just preparing for the... I don't know, but there we go. Speaking of which, uh, do we have it, uh, Emmy Other Business, anyone? I've got a challenge for Steve for next week, if that's yes. okay. Oh, Sorry, Steve. Oh, look at his face. His face, look gosh. Face. Not seen that um, before. Back to our discussion earlier in the pod about uh, the potential, we've missed out on the potential to get 100 points, obviously. I want to know <laughs> A, if any other football team has ever got 90, finished the season on 99 points. Okay. Oh, look at it. His, his face has just dropped again. And B, this is quite big in cricket with um, batsman scores. There are certain scores that have never been scored. So, for example, I don't know, something like 243 may never have been scored. Is there. A, and this is probably impossible, Steve, but is there a number of points in a season that has never been um, finished on by any club ever? Ooh. Good question. The annoying thing is I want to find out. So I yeah, I thought this might be, yeah, I thought this might be horrific for I, you I, because you will want to answer, find out. In answer to your first question, I think, don't correct me, I think Wolves went up with 99. I was just about, about to say that. Up four or five years ago. Oh, okay. They did. Yeah, 2017-18, they finished on 99 points. Michael's done the same weird thing as me, gone back trawling through the last few championship seasons to see who got what. So I think that might be right, but I'll look into it. That'll keep me busy, won't it? On bank You've got a week. I've got a week. Yeah, yeah nothing else to do, surely. Uh, on that note, I think we are we are done then in that case. Thanks for listening as always. Um, one more to go, which will be after the Barnsley game. Enjoy following it. Take care. Have fun. See you later. Bye-bye. The Athletic.